Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Jams D Podcast, where we spin the jams and spill the tea. And this week, we are going to be coming at you with a very special new episode where we are not going to be talking about two brand new releases from two artists this week. We have elected to do something a little different in the past when we have had a week where everything's been a little bit more light on releases that maybe we don't really find anything that we are super enthusiastic to talk about. We try and do something a little bit special. Last year, we did something where we talked about um, the works of Stephen Wilson. We talked about the Dead Wing and Hand Cannot Erase. It was a great little episode. Episode. And it's a little bit like that, but not totally this week, because we have each of us, the four of us, have brought to the table. We have picked our, I, I think, is it our favorite EPs? Is is that what we actually ended I up I think going in at with, least, it... in, a, in the case of at least two of us, which is me and August, it's definitely, I would say, our favorite EP. Me uh, as well. Just generally, it's like uh, we're putting forward, I think, one of our favorite EPs or an EP that we think is like really significant both in our taste mm. and also in the world of music to talk about and highlight, because as you all know, we do a record club series every week where we shout out albums that we love and sometimes albums that we don't love, but just albums that would be worth talking about. And so we don't actually mm. often have the chance to really show a spotlight on the EP. Like we don't get to talk about what can make a good EP, what can make an EP powerful as opposed to a record. And we just don't get the opportunity to shout out a lot of EPs. So this is an attempt to remedy that. And in subsequent weeks, if we ever have another week where we're really, really light on new releases, we may do something similar in this format as well, where each of us picks something and we kind of have a theme to the episode and we discuss each one, each person's selections. But today, it's our favorite. Give EP. us some suggestions in the comments of what yeah. you might okay. want to yeah. see us if, do in the future. If you have any ideas for future episodes like this, yeah. uh, please suggest them in the uh, report user section of the video. <laughs> Okay. Uh, yeah, and then, of course, uh, as always, it's lovely to have August back with us. We wouldn't want to do an episode like this without all four of us. And indeed, this episode was August's idea in the first place. So mm. it's truly like the, fam the, the family are back together and we'll yeah. just see what the fuck happens in the process. So with that, let's kick off with the first of our four EPs, which is... Jake's selection, FKA Twigs, Melissa EP. Jake, do you want to say a, a bit about why you picked this EP and why this EP is so important and personal to you? I picked FK Twigs, Melissa, because this week, or well, this year, I mean, uh, FK Twigs released a new mixtape that we covered on the show. And I mentioned that this was my favorite EP when we talked about Capri songs. And I just wanted to talk about it just because it's the sort of rare kind of like musical release from a very popular, very acclaimed artist that is seemingly very popular and acclaimed that I've just never heard anybody talk about. Uh, and just because it's an avenue of music that I think we don't talk about enough. You know, our tastes slant one way or the other, but I think we're a little bit more inclined towards like traditional rock music and stuff like that. So this is a bit left of the dial for us. So I thought it was just, you know, for the sake of variety, it was just a decent pick. Mm -hmm. And it's just an interesting EP in and of itself. Um, this was released in 2015. It was a year after FK Twigs released LP1, which was her first full-length length album like as an artist it was after her EP and EP2 where she was working uh, with artists like Arca on her production team uh, most specifically for that first album 
And what's notable about Twigs is that she seemingly latched onto a new producer or set of producers for most of her releases. Uh, the one here being Boots, who you may be familiar with because they have worked with Beyonce, uh, very notably on Beyonce's self-titled, one of the like bigger releases from her. And she's gone from like different eclectic uh, producers, but I think this is the one that sort of like took me aback when I looked up who it actually was because I assumed that this was Arca for the longest time because it sounds exactly like Arca's production style. It's really big, it's really spacious. It has lots of really like abrasive noise in it. It has lots of really like metallic shit in it. And um, overall, I just think that like, while I do have love for stuff like uh, the EPs before this, while I do have love for LP1 and while I think Magdalene is a near masterpiece of an album, this is still my favorite release of hers. Um, I feel like I can speak to this in a quite informed way because I've been listening to FKA Twigs since uh, EP2 dropped. So I've been kind of on the FKA Twigs train for a while. And so I remember I have vivid memories of each FK Twigs release. And I particularly remember the release of Melissa quite vividly because this is an EP that came pretty hot on the heels of LP1, as you said, Jake. And to me, it represents uh, the crystallization of a lot of FK Twigs thematic interests, musical interests. LP1 is a really strong record, has a couple of songs that are still some of her best on it. Uh, but I always yeah. did feel a little bit like LP1 didn't quite realize the full potential of the structure of the release and of how inventive and purely ambitious that FK Twigs could be. There were moments that left me wanting a little bit more on that album. And then when Melissa dropped, I think it was pretty clearly the most bold uh, creative and musical thing that she'd done so far that collaboration with Boots which I'm glad you brought up because I forgot that that was the specific collaboration on this EP is like it, it's beautiful because you have FK Twigs kind of moving in two kind of contrary directions with this EP and melding them beautifully one is moving further into the kind of like eerie uh, avant-garde sort of sinister soundscapes that have her early work suggested you have sort of uglier sort of more uh, IDM influenced musicality on this EP you have a greater focus on body horror elements which is stuff that's kind of been signaled in her earlier releases but really crystallizes here I mean you have really upsetting kind of Cronenbergian stuff on this EP thematically but the other direction that this collides with is FKA Twigs continuing to push her music in a poppier direction as well. You have one of her most popular and beloved songs on this EP, In Time, which you can definitely feel, I think, the influence of a pop producer on this song. Like, this song is bizarre, it's weird, it has these strange vocal effects you would be used to from Twigs, but it also has this really kind of catchy vocal melody, and it has this kind of, like, pulse to it. Uh, the lead single from this EP, Glass and Patron, similarly melds that that kind of eerie kind of uh, angular electronic elements with this kind of vocal presence and um, urgency that she brings to it that is absolutely captivating as a listener. Um, so that's one thing I'm always struck with every time I listen to Melissa. And I think this is absolutely like, I think Magdalene is her kind of best work so far, but this is very close behind. I absolutely love this EP. I think it's a really strong crystallization of the things that make her such an interesting and talented artist. And honestly, like one of the best sort of popular electronic releases of the decade in the sense that it's bringing so many sounds and 
uh, atmospheres and synthetic tones into a more sort of into the attention of people who normally wouldn't engage with those things and doing really exciting things with them. So um, there's a lot to unpack, I think, in terms of how these songs realize that musical, those musical ideas, and also like what Twigs is singing about on these songs. But as a sort of starting point, that's the, the big thing I take away from it is how beautifully it builds on what she'd already done and kind of points the way towards subsequent releases like Magdalene and even Capri songs as well. I think the most like broad thematic idea that she takes a stab at, which is not surprising if you've heard basically anything by her is that uh, it's about fucking, uh, um, but you know, that, that is a bit reductive to say, like it opens, the, the EP opens with figure eight, which I should point out is probably my favorite FKA Twig song. Oh, I adore this pick. song. Great fucking it's, pick. It's noisy, it's loud, it's enormous, and it shows off one of my favorite things about Twigs, which I said this when we talked about Capri songs, which is her voice. I adore this woman's voice. I, I would listen to her sing anything at any point it's just she manages to reach like an insane level of like pitch and she uses her voice so dynamically it's it's fascinating to unfold but it's just very traditionally pretty and fragile sounding and I I never tire of it and it's like used intertwining with the kind of really rapid cycling beats on here uh and this is one of the less traditional songs on here, but it's one of the biggest sounding. Uh, and thematically, it's sort of like this song in particular is basically showcasing the like the the sexuality of women in like like if as it's being commodified by the modern world. There's like this point in the middle where it kind of like breaks down into like this almost music concrete-esque part where you just hear like these really like sped up verses and it talks about like, you know, uh, boys wearing girls into women. And it's just like all these really evocative kind of like terrifying Cronenbergian evocative lyrics that are very reminiscent of stuff like, you know, this is not a total departure from something like you would hear on Bjork's Vespertine, where she talks very, very um, closely about human intimacy. But this is definitely like a perversion of that. Like on In Time, for example, that's a song where uh, somebody like Twigs is like in real time convincing herself that um, somebody who is not interested in her in the club that she is at, that like she is going to make them interested in her in like an almost predatory way, but she also wants them to be predatory towards her. And that's also showcased on stuff like I'm Your Doll, where she like revels in a kind of like submissiveness. Uh, and this is like always the cool thing about her is that it's never in like a one-dimensional way it's always like through the lens of something else it's not like oh because she likes being submissive it's like is it more because women as a whole societally are being more like pushed to be more submissive or is this because it's just like or is it in and of itself just sort of like a healthy dom sub kind of relationship and that's all over her music as a whole but it's really well explored here in my opinion but I don't want to keep on going on forever because I know that Morgan and August were not particularly familiar with uh, Twigs or this EP so I'm curious to see what the two of you thought. Yeah I basically was not familiar at all with Twigs at this point I had obviously known that uh, this was a person making music 
And I, I have no idea what I expected FKA Twigs to sound like, really. I turned on the first track here, figure eight, and I was like, that, yeah, that sounds about right. Like, I don't know what that <laughs> says exactly, but I was just like, this like perfectly matches the way that everyone talks about this artist. And I think that's definitely a compliment in this case, because uh, mm-hmm. that that is my favorite song on here as well. Just a, a really immediate and powerful sort of display of the instrumental capabilities of Twigs and the producer working together. And while I don't think the EP ever quite hits those heights for me again, it's definitely is always an interesting listen. I think the the accessibility of figure eight is why I would go to like recommend this to being one of the most like if somebody was trying to get in there, this is what I would recommend because it sort of blends the immediacy of like uh, Riley kind of mentioned that this is sort of more pop inclined than anything she had made up until this point. So you have songs like figure eight and songs like in time that people can latch on to, but it also gives you a lot of the esotericism of her music as well because like you know this wasn't always something that I thought was as amazing as I do now I mean I think basically every song on here is if not perfect near perfect I think maybe um I'm your doll doesn't quite hit the heights of everything else for me but that's like again the difference between a nine and a ten um I think that the one of the most underrated FK twig songs is glass and patron um because when that snaps into like the beat where she starts like counting like one two three and you're just like holy shit <laughs> like that's like one of the moments on the ep that always kind of like throws me for a loop even when i've heard it a thousand times like yeah. i have now um it, it's just a really good balance and a really good showcase of the potential of an artist like mm-hmm. her which is why like it, it's not something i would expect to be incredibly immediate with everyone but like i i, I definitely can say that a year after I heard it, I was listening to figure eight, like almost daily at one yeah. point. And I was just like, I think I might have a problem. One of the things I love about Twigs, and she's gotten better at this, is that each of her releases feels like it has its own identity in terms of a side of her that she's showing you. Like I recommend, I would recommend Melissa to people who want to see the pure kind of ferocity and the darker thematic interests of twigs in terms of these aspects of body horror and um things that will i'll get into in a minute but then if if you would want something that's more emotionally immediate and kind of forthright and pairs back some of the stuff then i point people towards magdalene um but these two and these two releases or if you want something that's totally irreverent and just purely about having fun in these sonic environments capri songs is a great place to go as well Mm -hmm. so she is great at designing projects uh, that are distinct from each other in terms of the way that you can approach them and the way and the effect they'll have on you. The, one of the things that I think makes Melissa such a kind of vital and representative project for Twigs is that one of the aspects of her that people kind of know her from or that established her fame is her ability to dance, her contortionism, mm-hmm. the, the ability that she has to kind of um, manipulate her own body. Uh, that, of course, is where that Twigs nickname came from. And what's always been great about her and I think is particularly pronounced here is the way that she marries these images of uh, a contorted manipulated body both manipulated by 
her and to to exert some kind of power but also manipulated by outside forces i think that i mean twigs is the kind of definition of um topping from the bottom in a certain sense because she presents herself or she likes to kind of construct a facade of vulnerability and then use that to kind of manipulate and then try and undermine your perceptions of vulnerable women or of her and her vulnerability Mm -hmm. and she does that beautifully on this ep but also the way that just the way that the sounds in this EP kind of like are audio, audio representations of like the, her, her ability to contort her own body, like particularly on, on figure eight where you have these kind of clackering, clacking uh, beats that remind me a lot of my favorite Twig song, which is Pendulum off of LP1, uh, does that beautifully as well. Um, and she does this throughout the EP, I think Glass and Patron, which you mentioned is kind of a definitive track for that reason as well. It is, again, this perfect marriage of like totally avant-garde shit in terms of sound design. Mm-hmm. And then her ability to kind of like pull you into that and make you feel kind of overwhelmed. Like it's a song about being in the spotlight and having your image manipulated, like hold that pose for me, like this experience that she's had. And the EP, I guess, is an exercise in uh, taking that language and taking those experiences and kind of turning them on their heads so that she now holds the control and that she is sort of manipulating herself in a way to manipulate the people who want to manipulate her. If, so is there's lots of meta levels going on here. But anyway, um, that's one of the things I really enjoy about this EP. But August, I know you're pretty new to Twigs as well. I'm curious what your uh, experience was with this EP and what you sort of, how you feel about the things that we've kind of brought up at this point. You know, I generally agree with a lot of the points. I think the production here is quite nice. I, I just generally tend to like electronic production, stuff like that. I think it all sounds really good. I think the vocal effects really add a lot of depth, character, and personality to what she's uh, doing. So, like, on a fundamental surface level, I really like what's going on here. Don't have any problems there. I I just kind of feel like the project itself is not particularly for me. While I do think a lot of these songs have fun hooks, I I really like the chorus to In Time. I think that's got a really catchy, exciting, kind of gets you moving, you know? It's a fun, fun pop song. It's just the... The whole of it kind of grates on me. I can't exactly put into words why. I just don't find a lot of the the writing particularly interesting or evocative. I, I, I'll be honest, even though I read through a lot of the lyrics, a lot of the body horror stuff just didn't come across terribly well to me. I didn't get any like I just didn't feel I had much of an emotional reaction to it beyond just like, oh, this is doing what it needs to do well, but it's just not working for me. I I definitely understand where you're coming from, August. It probably helps the fact that where Riley and I are coming from specifically is because since we've heard her other records, we can kind of piece together everything with a little bit more, I guess, like certainty. So I can understand why if you only had this project as your frame of reference, why a lot of the like thematic or lyrical stuff might not work for you quite as well. That said, 
I, I think that there's something important to what uh, Riley mentioned when the sort of you sort of have this synergy between contortion like of the physical and the music in yeah. that I would compare the sensation that the music creates in me to that of uh, another very popular um, art pop musician, which is Kate Bush who notably, I, I don't remember under which like principle or whatever it was, but there was always an active effort in Kate's music to be um, spiritually like full of movement and to have like a synergy with dancing, especially when she started off with like those first four or five albums. That was a real main concern of her where, you know, you can sort of like, you look at like the music videos of her dancing that are paired with the music and you sort of see like, like you know she'll do some like weird wacky Kate Bush shit but at the same time you're just kind of like oh I see like how the sound translates to the physical here which is very much the case um with twigs I mean you can hear that and shit like uh, the song cellophane off of Magdalene which generally speaking I think Morgan in particular would probably really enjoy Magdalene just because that's like 100%. not only is it more emotionally like forthright and just sort of less oblique than other stuff it's also just like really accessible it, it just sounds um, like a lot more like stuff that you're more likely to hear than something like this which yeah. is again very arca adjacent and very out there magdalene definitely pairs back what i would call a lot of the shattered glass and twisted metal aesthetics of this EP, yeah <laughs> um into something that's much more kind of for lack of a better word naked but um I don't know. I like, again, like I said before, I like the fact that the the different projects that she's put out exist in such independence from each other. It's maybe the reason why I don't completely gel with LP1 is that it's kind of like uh, a mix of everything in some ways, and it just has less of an identity for me as a result. But Melissa... of good songs. There's not a lot of connective tissue that, between them. But, but that album also does have stuff. the song Video Girl on it, which feels in a lot of ways like uh, a laying out of, of the kind of artistic and personal philosophy and biographical aspects of where Twigs is coming from in terms of her history as a backup dancer in music videos and how, again, she tries to, how her music is an attempt to kind of seize autonomy that is stripped from her by design and her and that identity and the way that dance is so important to her. It's as important as to her as music in the sense that music is a form of creative expression, but equally the dance is as well. And that's why I recommend checking out her music videos too. She did a very uh, bizarre and compelling music video for Glass and Patron for this EP that I remember mm -hmm. quite vividly. And she's done a few of those. It's, it's fucking terrifying. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but yeah, anyway, great EP. Um, and I think a great way to kick us off as well. Shall we do our favorite track and you can do least favorite if you want to and uh and do a rating as well well my favorite track on here is the aforementioned figure eight one of my favorite like songs in the world of electronic music and i feel like i while i would say that i'm your doll is my least favorite song on here again it is literally the difference between a bunch of songs i would consider perfect and a song i would consider near perfect so i feel like that's not even really worth saying it's my least favorite but yeah this is a perfect ep in my eyes i've listened to this more than any other fka twigs product project and probably any ep in existence i think it's this is just towers over anything else this is a 10 my favorite track on here would be In Time 
uh, as opposed to uh, Out of Time by R.E.M. Uh, my least favorite track would be I'm Your Doll, and I, I'd give it a six. Yeah, favorite track I will say is Figure Eight. Yeah, I guess I'll say I'm Your Doll for least favorite, but I still think it's pretty good, and I will give this a seven. Alrighty, uh, my favorite track is... Um, well, it, well, it used to be in time, but like figure eight has really hit hard this week, revisiting this EP. I was always between those two anyway. Um, so yeah, figure eight, least favorite, um, just to be different, I'll say Mother Creep, which I do like. It's a good song. I don't think there's anything approaching a miss on here, but that's probably the one that uh, resonates with me the least of the songs on this EP. Um, but I love this thing. It's always been one of my favorite Twigs releases, probably still my second favorite release of hers. Uh, great EP gets an eight from me, uh, which is an average overall of 7.7 7 for FK Twigs, Melissa. All right, let's move into our second EP of the day. I think unwittingly this has ended up structuring itself quite nicely because we have two electronic EPs and then two rock EPs uh, kind of splitting this into halves, which is nice. In contrast to the noisy, clattering, loud, aggressive electronic pop of FKA Twigs, our second EP of today's video is an ambient EP from an IDM act that you might be familiar with. You might have heard of him, up and covers called Autekker. And this is my EP selection for this video. It is their 1995, their 1995 EP, Garbage, uh, which is my favorite EP of all time, incidentally. And an EP that I've kind of always been looking for excuses to kind of push onto my friends um, because you've all gotten into Orteker, whether you like it or not, thanks to me. But their EPs, like when they have so many albums, their EPs can kind of be a, a foreign wonderland that you kind of avoid. Uh, but this is, I think, the best sort of one of the best entry points into Orteker in general, I would say, even though it does lean more towards the ambient side of things as opposed to what you, the sort of sounds you might conventionally think of them for. Uh, it's a great introduction into how varied and interesting they were in the 90s. Um, well, that they, of course, they stayed interesting, but it was a particular kind of aesthetic they worked with, more conventional IDM. And to me, this is one of the most foundational releases in the proper 90s era of IDM. Uh, but I will save my extended thoughts um, for a little bit later into the into the segment. Um, what do you guys think of Ortega's Garbage, whoever wants to leap up to the plate first? How do you think it compares to the stuff they were doing around this time on some of the albums that you've heard? And what were your initial sort of takeaways experiencing it for the first time? What I really like about this EP is that it does feel very distinct from anything else Ortega were doing around this time. It's very slow building. It's very methodical. Like that first track, uh, Garbage Mix 36. I, I just love how the tracks on here really, really take advantage of time as a medium, using it to its fullest effect to just really give you a nice slow burn up until its, its climax. And what's really good about these tracks in particular is the fact that you get so immersed in them that you don't really realize how substantial the changes have been over the song's runtime until you're so deep into it. Like one of my favorite experiences with this was going to like a very early point in the song 
and then clicking to way later, seeing how substantial, how different it was, and then going back and just listening to that in real time, because it's really delicately structured the way these just build up in a very epic, immediate, exciting way. In that sense, I get why it's a perfect intro for people, because even though the songs are a little on the longer side, if you're seeking out music like Autecker, I don't think you really care about a seven-minute runtime on a song. I'm glad you brought that up, the sort of slow-building aspect of this, because while I think it is fair to categorize this EP as ambient techno, you can't really, like, that the ambient and the techno are both important aspects to understanding what this EP is and why it works as well as it does. Because yes, while it's ambient in the sense that these are slow moving tracks that you can kind of zone out to. I, I listen to this EP a lot when I am working as much as when I am just like lying in bed. It, it suits both atmospheres beautifully. It has this kind of nocturnal feel to it, particularly as the EP goes on, where it sort of starts to feel like it is using mechanical textures and sounds to approximate the real world or to approximate environments that you might be familiar with or that you might be existing within and kind of turn them into these sorts of uh, tranquil but eerie uh, or at least to highlight the tranquil but eerie sort of nature of uh, particularly urban environments and again I read into this a lot but there's a distinct feel and aesthetic that I get here that evokes uh, desolate late night urban environments like the opening track of this EP which is one of my favorite Ortega tracks in general uh, evokes the kind of lonely continuously iterating machinery of some kind of abandoned factory uh, and then subsequent songs on the EP like another one of my personal favorite Ortega tracks Broncos Even Mix you, it has like snippets of human voices that are like fragmented and kind of uh, delayed and reverbed and give this sort of eerie sense of a, a desolate landscape where you're kind of, uh, where there's almost like ghosts of people um, or ghosts of, or just fragments of people that once existed in that space that are no longer there anymore, that are kind of like bleeding through in some ways. Uh, the second track on this EP, Pyob Mix, also has sort of, uh, even more kind of distorted and, and less recognizable vocal samples in it as well that are like reverbed and overlaid and contrasted with what uh, is a big popular technique for Ortega in this particular era, which are these languorous, lengthy, uh, melancholic synth tones that they use quite effectively and quite powerfully. And this EP, I think, is a masterclass in how those sort of languorous synth tones can be contrasted with these simple but gradually sort of building uh, electronic percussive landscapes as well. Uh, I think that tracks like Garbage and tracks like Broncos Even Mix are perfect uh, examples of the aspect of structure that you pointed out, August, where there is actually a lot of change happening in these songs, but it happens so gradually and subtly that you don't realize how far you've gone by the time that you get to the end of it. Um, that's particularly true, I think, in the case of Broncos Even Mix, which is just one of my favorite things to listen to like late at night uh it reminds me the vibe it gives me is very similar to the vibe i get from listening to burial's later era work uh on this particular track um the way that burial uses vocal samples and these sort of longing sad sort of synth tones to evoke this desolate sort of urban landscape i think he channels a lot of the same sort of techniques and vibes that will take a perfect on this ep 
I will restrain myself from going any further here. I want to hear uh, more from, from Jake and Morgan, what your take on this EP is and how you feel it stands up to some of the other stuff you'll be familiar with from around this time. I liked this a lot. I do want to note that I was like, oh, an EP episode. Uh, this means each of these will take about 15, 20 minutes. <laughs> it's, yeah, I, download, I download garbage and it says 40 minutes at the bottom. And I'm like, like, so that was a fucking lie. Really strong stuff here. I did really admire the sort of ambient focus on here made for really good reading and working music. I, like, I kind of stopped in my autecker discography listening uh, because i could no longer maintain focus while reading anymore because I, <laughs> I was fucking listening to what is the one before chorus untilted yeah untilted and it's like just the, like uh, it sounds like 13 jackhammers going off at the same time it's like i probably can't believe i can't well, that is like I the always... loudest mastered Ortiker album as well. So yeah, like that's a great like, one to, to just like, damn, I really, it. you know, this one's not really, you know, I'm not, I'm not really going to get through much Murakami today with this. Uh, <laughs> uh, so that, that made for a nice change of pace uh, in terms of just where I'm at with this band in general. Well, as this is an ambient inclined Autechre project, it's not exactly a fucking shock that I was a fan. And I have been familiar with it for a while because I first listened to this like month and a half and a uh, month and a half ago. And I think the only thing about like what what kind of I mean, I guess maybe this will just be a weird Jake opinion or something. But uh, the song that we haven't mentioned, the closer V Letromix 21 easily my favorite thing on here is just a fucking like when you think about the fact that this came out in 1995 and i'm just like this reminds me of like oversteps like how the fuck did they make anything sound like this like when you go and listen to like the first track on here when you listen to like garbage mix which is like it's a good song it's like my least favorite thing on here just because it's like way more rhythmically inclined than everything else and the kind of like hollow metallic kind of repeating cycling thing it's just not my favorite textural autecker sound i guess but like when you look at the progression from that all the way to this which is like this fucking galaxy brain fucking wide vast soundscape kind of thing and i don't think would be out of place on even something like lsec like it just really goes to show you how forward thinking this project is uh, especially considering it came out around the same time as uh, tri I, I actually think very broadly about this, the same the thing that I think about Amber. Both projects for me are at their best when they're at their most spacious. I think that this sort of like tri repetite sort of doubles down on how interesting like the rhythmic parts of Autechre sound are. Uh, and it's not like they're bad or anything here. It's just that they're inherently a little bit less interesting to me. It's why I love uh, the sort of added ghostly accent of P.O. Mix 19, which is just that's my second favorite thing here, uh, which is just it just sounds it's both a refreshing counter to the first track. Um, which goes to show you how well like a flowing project this is, even though it's 40 minutes, it just, it flies by and it's also just a great 
like it, it's it, it's only four songs but it's still sequenced very well and i do also really love the yeah like bronca's steven mix is sort of like the most passive track here but it, in doing so it kind of becomes the most effective at like it's almost like the most quintessential piece of music on this project uh as for like what it's going for so i think it's definitely like it's a really strong project i would put it up there with like autekers early stuff in terms of how much i enjoy it i think it's better than shit like uh, incanabula of course uh but it, it's a little bit more brief and so if you're looking for something that doesn't require the commitment that maybe some of their hour plus projects have or you know some of their long long projects this is definitely a great place to start with them i mean not that you need me to tell you that but it, it's just very good and it carves out a its own identity which i think is maybe the most impressive thing is that autaker have so many projects at this point that especially this early on you would kind of expect this to feel redundant because like that's not entirely dissimilar from my problems with some of the EPs that they have is that it just kind of sounds like more of the album that they came from, which, you know, it's not bad sometimes that there's the highlights on them, but this feels really distinct, which I think is why it's great. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I will, I won't be coy about this. I think this is the best uh, release that Ortega put out in the nineties. Uh, it would just my favorite least maybe best isn't the right way of expressing that, but um the structure of this, I think the way that this is com composed and constructed, I think, and I love a lot of Ortega's EPs from this era, and I think they're all worth checking out if you're interested in Ortega, but I think this is head and shoulders, the most structurally coherent and uh, excitingly designed EP, which is funny because of how sort of minimal and, and ambient it is. Uh, one of my favorite tricks in terms of how this is constructed, which is a trick that Boards of Canada would borrow when they put together uh, their amazing EP in a beautiful place out in the country, which has, you know, also has four tracks and has the same structure in the sense that you start with the most uh, percussively busy piece, the most sort of familiar piece to uh, people who are maybe acquainted with the band's uh, most enduring work up to this point. And then you gradually pair back the percussive and rhythmic elements until you're just kind of existing in a formless space. Both of those EPs do that with each successive track and both EPs end with a kind of flooring track that has no percussion at all. And I think Garbage is particularly masterful in the way that it does that. Each track is more paired back and more minimal than the one that precedes it. And it almost feels like the EP and the quintessential core of what Orteker is it's kind of evaporating in front of you in real time. Like they are peering back uh, all of the uh, complexity and the, like one of the things that really, really, I love so much about the opening track on this EP is that it's kind of like, it shows you in real time how Orteker construct a song because it introduces one element and then it will introduce a second element over top of it. And then with a third and a fourth and they will be introduced one after the other. And you see how they kind of interlock with each other as the song progresses in real time. And then there'll be parts of the track where they'll strip some back and bring them back in. And it gives it this really interesting structure. Uh, Garbage Mix, the song is actually, if I... And to introduce Ortega to someone by recommending a song, uh, I often recommend this one because of that reason. Like it shows you the principles of musicality and musical construction that they're working with. And it also gives you a kind of preview of how the entire EP is going to function in a sense that by the end of this track, you have gone from constructing to deconstructing and the song kind of ends in this formless space. And then the rest of the EPs continue that uh, principle of, of taking 
it's weird like tracks like Pyob mix and bronchus even mix like they are structured to add elements as they go on but they also kind of paradoxically are becoming more and more minimal in the process of doing so like bronchus even mix is a great example you start with this simple sort of like cut up sort of vocal samples and sort of bouncy overlaid synth lines and you gradually get these sort of gentle melancholic tones coming over top of it and by the end of the song you have these kind of twinkling half melodic tones and everything is kind of intensified but also become more tranquil in a way and it's very beautiful and eerie and and quite confronting uh and then you get into Violet remix which i have avoided mentioning up to this point because it is it stands in such contrast not only to the rest of the ep which you do get the feel when you listen to it that it has been building towards but also in contrast with every other song Woodtaker have ever put out this is one of the most unique individual tracks in their entire catalog not i mean for one in the sense that there's no percussion in it at all but also in the way that they're manipulating texture and tone to create this piece that has this simultaneous feeling of kind of like eerie melancholy but also urgent sort of apocalyptic fire and, and terrifying intensity as well um it, it has it feels like the soul of, of an orteker track kind of beard and and all of the organs and stuff that is kind of overlaid over top of it taken away and you just get this kind of primal ear of of like urgent sound and it's, it's quite a profound moment on the EP to be honest when you get to that and you really have those recurrent melodic tones just kind of just getting in your face and kind of receding and moving forward and and, and pulling you down it, it, it feels like uh, you're being taken to some dark and and terrifying place at the end of this EP it's gen genuinely I think one of the most unsettling pieces of music Orteker have ever released to kind of close off and to come back to that theme of kind of the urban landscape that this EP evokes, I think that there's a reason it's called garbage, and this is just my theory, but it evokes the kind of urban environment where you do have uh, a lot of decay and you do have a lot of uh, consumption and the remains of that consumption, and the EP feels very much like uh, it is taking the elements of an urbanized society and it's kind of focusing in on the aesthetics of the you know, the remains of what we do, like the factory evoking elements of the opening track and, and other points in this record give you the sense of like inhaling smoke and um, feeling the kind of claustrophobia, the kind of paradoxical claustrophobia of the open urban landscape in the nighttime. That to me is what's one of the things that's so powerful about the EP is how strongly it evokes that landscape and kind of immerses you within it. And um, so to me, whenever I listen to it, it's kind of a profound experience and a deeply upsetting, but also strangely tranquil one in the same way that my second favorite EP of all time, Burial's Kindred, is also. And yeah, and, and that's why I think it's it's a really remarkable project that deserves its own spotlight, even among Ortega's other EPs, this one stands head and shoulders as one of their masterpieces, in my opinion, and um, something that I definitely recommend experiencing, no matter where you are on the spectrum of Ortega familiarity and Ortega enjoyment, it's absolutely essential listening to me. Uh, my favorite track, as I mentioned before, is the opener on this thing, Garbage Mix. Uh, least favorite uh if i had to rank the songs it would probably be Piob mix but i think this is a perfect ep uh, i think every song is essential to the structure and effect of it all and so it gets a 10 from me i would say my favorite on here is definitely the garbage mix the first track here i just a fucking staggering 
piece of music in this group's catalog. And no least favorite, fuck it, and I'll give this an eight and a half. Favorite here would be uh, Shotgun. You know what? I'm not going to deviate from the norm. It's Garbage Mix 36. Uh, least favorite would be the last track on here. Didn't talk much about it, but I just found it wasn't terribly effective at, at that kind of evocation that I thought the other songs did so well. But I mean, I, I still enjoy the EP overall. I'd give it a seven. I'll fucking throw a wrench in things and say that my favorite is, in fact, Violet Remix 2-1. My least favorite is Garbage Mix 36. It's an 8 out of 10 EP for me. It's a very, very strong release. Hell yeah. Um, so that is an average for Orteker's Garbage of 8.4. All right, let's move into the second half of our episode then. We've talked about two electronic EPs uh, that are very different in style, and now we're going to talk about two rock EPs that are very different in style. And the first of those is... Salsons translating the name. Uh, Morgan, this was the EP that you put forward for this video. Do you want to talk for a minute about first why you picked this EP for the video and what your feelings on this EP are overall? Broadly speaking, I approached this video concept from the uh, the perspective of not necessarily what my favorite EP is, mostly because I I have no idea what that would even be, uh, but uh, ones that I feel are sort of important if uh, to me if not if nothing else and this one in particular what made me certain that this was going to be my choices was that everyone who is not me hadn't heard it and that needed to be rectified uh, Sayosin's kind of a, a big name in the more underground parts of uh, emo and post-hardcore uh, often pointed to as the thing that's like for people whose favorite bands my chemical romance this is your favorite band's favorite band type perspective Sayosin definitely had a resounding effect on uh, the sort of hardcore scene that got really popular in the wake of my chemical romance mm -hmm there for a while and, and it really feels like this ep is foundational to the way that that sort of subgenre would evolve and it's also interesting from the perspective um that seosin cease to be important after this point uh which <laughs> sucks on on one hand and is perfectly fine with me on the other uh just a because we got circa survive and b because the odds of this band releasing anything better than this ep as a package very very slim i think well this is the nature of a lot of bands in this era as well as um and and this is kind of the apex of of this pattern as well which is the first thing I would describe this EP as, uh, without even knowledge of any of Salzen's other music, is lightning in a bottle. Like, this thing captures an energy that is... I mean, if more bands could capture the energy that Salzen captured on this EP, they would. Um, but the simple fact of the matter is <laughs> that 
you have to have some real fucking talent and just absolute precision focus to do what Sousen do on any one of these songs, let alone all of them. Uh, this EP is like the definition of an event within post-hardcore and emo, despite being relatively underground. Uh, you get sounds and aesthetics that definitely bring a lot of the murkier, uglier aspects of post-hardcore and emo into a more sort of refined and accessible lane that would definitely lead into some of the more successful names that were about to blow up as this decade went on. But also clear uh, reference points being like emo post-hardcore predecessor bands like Thursday for instance who had also clearly had an influence on the scene that Salson um, not necessarily draw from but the DNA is the same and so what you get on this EP in 2003 is a burst of concentrated energy that has the fire and ferocity of very few things I've ever heard from any real uh, EPs and or music within this genre or outside of it. And I, one of the reasons why I love that you picked this, Morgan, uh, well, first of all, you picked it because we hadn't heard it. I'm really fucking yeah. glad you did because I'm kicking myself for not listening to this earlier, especially considering I was aware of this mm. EP. But also, we're celebrating EPs here. We haven't really talked a lot about the EP format and how that can be utilized to its maximum. But I think that translating the name is a perfect example of how you can do that. Uh, and how an EP can sometimes be a more powerful setting and format for certain songs than an album, uh, which is, I think, one of the reasons why the EP exists in the first place. Like artists often release EPs because the songs that they come up with just don't have the DNA or the feel or the construction to work within the context of a full, fully fledged album. And there is an energy and a ferocity on these songs, which forgive me if this sounds facile, but it reaches such a high that you almost feel like if some of these songs were on an album, their ultimate impact would be kind of inevitably diluted if they were surrounded by too much else. And so as a result of these songs being so concentrated and this EP experience being so short, uh, each of these songs lingers in the memory more easily and has maximum impact because of the fact that this EP is more of a punch in the face than like a continued sustained beating. It starts on 10 and it just completely <laughs> never flags at all. And yeah. with a, if this sort of thing were translated into an album, no pun intended, then for structure's sake, you would have to have moments where some of that energy is peered back in order to make it a sustainable experience. And so what Salzen managed to do here is avoid having to peer back at any point by simply making this an EP as opposed to a full length. And as a result of that, you get the sustained burst of energy that if it were stretched to say 40 minutes would be less sustainable, would be more tiring perhaps, but because of its concision, it becomes this absolutely essential experience that never loses you and ends at just the right moment for you to take a fucking breath and take in what you have just experienced. It's a fucking roller coaster that is just continuously throwing you downwards the entire time without the slow ascent it's 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 just a fucking nuts after the first three songs seven years translating the name and third measurement and c like you're almost exhausted and then <laughs> the the fucking whatever that is of lost symphonies at the beginning which is just like the most 
relentlessly intense thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Can we just talk about the drumming on the CP for real quick? Oh second? my god! What inhuman motherfucker did this shit? It's like the first thing you hear on here is the sort of roll that kicks off seven years. And it's like Abe Cunningham of Deftones level (laughs) fucking hi-hat fuckery. Uh, I believe the drummer's mm. name is Alex Rodriguez. Um, So shout out to him because whatever fucking sorcery he's performing to be able to execute (laughs) the songs and rhythm section of these songs in the way that he does is leave a couple arms for the rest of us jesus christ (laughs) maybe this band broke up because the kit kept catching fire it's not a sustainable model exactly the other thing about why i think it's so powerful as an ep experience is that like the synergy and the level of intensity required among all of the performers to sustain this is like the resources that it must have taken up to even record these. I mean, no wonder the band essentially kind of fell apart and never really reached these highs again, because you would need the energy that would typically be be required to power a small nation to simply record (laughs) this EP. And somehow they were able to pull that off. I mean, to me, what this almost sounds, the band I was immediately reminded of through like vocals and just energy of performance was Coheda and Cambria. Second stage turbine blade was the year before. Yeah. I don't think that's a mistake. This this is like exactly that kind of energy, but translated to an even like more distilled full extent. I mean, production all sounds amazing. This was so good. It made me want, it made me it gave me the will to sit through their first album, which is, uh, I've heard it. It's just like the most brutal juxtaposition of, of intensity and energy. I mean, let's, I won't focus on that because that's bullshit. Who cares? This is fucking awesome. I mean, the drumming's already been mentioned. I just love the interplay between the guitar and bass. It adds mm. so much mm-hmm so much of like a depth and like a world to the ep and just completely perfectly fills out every corner of your ear i think it's it's so economic with how it is all put together that you could you could hardly get these songs over three minutes because you wouldn't want them longer than that because they're just so sharply paced Mm. so tightly constructed and, and what's impressive is, even though I think a lot of these songs have, a, at their core, a similar sound, every song is distinct because of some quirk of production, uh, vocal performance, guitar or drum performance. Uh, there's something that makes every song feel like its own experience. And I think that's something that makes an ep great but when you have such a limited runtime and such a limited track list but you dedicate yourself wholly to making everything sound distinct mm-hmm. you can't get away with like a similar song or two on an ep on an album you can do that because it's 50 minutes and you know maybe once for one person once for another no fuck that on an ep you have to focus 
and be thorough and quick. And this just does that perfectly, in my opinion. Mm. We have to talk about Seven Years, which uh, is the opening track of this EP. And uh, I made a somewhat... Uh, a somewhat uh, hyperbolic statement on Twitter that I nonetheless fully back up, which is that I think this is the greatest poster art core song I've ever heard. I had to yeah, I mean, process like... it for a bit to make sure that I believe that. But I mean, I genuinely think that this is a high pinnacle of hardcore music in general, this song, uh, not just in the ferocity that it maintains that we've talked about, the way that it kind of throttles you and throws you into this EP, but in the vocal performances, the incredible guitar melodies and riffs that are layered through this song, the complex dynamic shifts and changes within those aspects of the musicality of it, and just the way that it knocks you back and continues to throw in your face all of the signifiers, aesthetics, sounds that you would expect from this fusion of post-hardcore and emo, that it feels like, you know, it's like hearing you know, Sunday real estate in circles for the first time. Like it's the same feeling as that to me. And even though it's like this completely different experience and that that song makes you feel like shit. And this song just makes you feel like your brain is exploding. Your brain matter is leaking like out of your ears. Like if there is someone within it. a five foot radius of me, I will kill them. Yeah. Like this is how you, I think this is everything that the hardcore emo genre like at its absolute most refined and best and intense goes for uh and and to me while seven years is the pinnacle i think the energy is maintained so well across the rest of the ep particularly the title track and my second favorite song on the out on the ep third measurement in c which just continues to ratchet up this intensity and power and and shout out to uh front person uh anthony green the vocalist here also the principal uh, musical visionary on the ep Bo virtual as well together these two men are so locked into sync with each other uh in terms of matching a sort of synergistic urgency that yeah, it sounds amazing and has all these gorgeous sort of guitar and musical instrumental interplays, but the urgency in the vocals as well, the lyricism here too, is so uh, representative of what this genre can reach at its pinnacle of focus and emotional intensity. Like it just absolutely devastates you on every conceivable level. And when you're talking about high watermarks and pinnacles of these genres, anything less than devastating is a failure. Yeah, I mean, like, from the first fucking note of the guitar on Seven Years, where it's just kind of like this weirdly kind of dreamy kind of like, boom, 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 boom. And you immediately hear the lead singer who just sounds like a, a, a perfect synthesis of Chino Moreno and Claudio Sanchez, like, to the point where I was just kind of like, did somebody like make this guy in like a like a like an AI? Did someone like generate the post hardcore frontman? Um, because I mean, goddamn, that dude, this dude, really like it makes me want to check out Circus of Our Survive real bad just because he's such a commanding, uh, vocal presence. It, honestly, it's like not even because of the runtime, which I think is notable because this is the shortest EP that we're talking about. Yet we're we're speaking about it in such robust terms 
which I think really just kind of accentuates everything that Riley already said. But this is also just something that like, I would describe this as listening to the seven stage, the second stage turbine blade on, on four times speed. Um, it like condenses all of the energy that is in that album into a 15 minute long experience. It's like a, a volumetric comparison as well. And I just love the tonality of all the instruments on here. I mean, like early 2000s rock and post-hardcore production is, I mean, unless you were produced by like Ross Robinson, you you probably don't sound all that good. It's just kind of part of the course for a lot of music like this and a lot of popular music like this. But God damn, everything here sounds so sharp. It sounds so fucking fierce. This is just as good as this shit gets. I want to take a moment to, I already kind of mentioned it in passing, but I want to take a moment and again to really highlight Anthony Green's lyricism, which is the one thing we kind of haven't really talked about in all of our furor over how great this sounds. But there's, writing great emo lyrics is, it's a difficult thing to explain a formula for, because again, so much of it is rooted in not even just what you're saying, but the your ability to convey the power in your words through the way that you sing. And it's a delicate art that can very easily fall flat if you don't have the level of technical proficiency and full-on physical and emotional commitment. Uh, but Anthony Green, maybe more than, or as much as any uh, emo performer ever has, has that in spades. And um, lyrically, my favorite song here is the title track, which has this gorgeously heartbreaking sentiment about memories of your mother, and the relationship between mother and child and this sense of distance and sort of heartbreak and grief in a certain sense about either an, an actual passing of one's mother or at least like a distancing, uh, a movement away from the comfort uh, or, a, or an inability to um, maintain that comfort. There's this devastating refrain of a, you're walking so peculiar like you had something to hide. Um, and, and, and there's just elements of the relationship that is evoked in the song that are so affecting, like, especially when he really nails in on these specific little details, like, I have your voice on a tape in a Southern accent screaming at me, and I'm bordered in a brown pigmentation of where the only bonds cut short turned in then stopped. I've been watching Rose Given, and I missed out on savoring it so I've been watching Rose give into it, severing the ties between mother and son. It's incredibly powerful. And you don't need to necessarily understand the sentiments expressed here. I mean, uh, Anthony's great at doing that typical emo thing of evoking a clear relationship dynamic, but then also doing it in quite a poetic and oblique way. But then you have songs like the closing track on this EP, they perched on their stilts, pointing and daring me to break custom, where the sentiment's a little bit more conventional for emo. It's a sense of um, iso social isolation and distancing within your environment that nevertheless could come across as maudlin or sort of self-pitying if you take it too far. But again, the urgency and the very sort of like you know, carving into my arms sort of de uh, tonality to the lyricism on my face. I scratched out something like a silhouette around the golden 10 like lambs on my face. I've hidden away any embarrassment. I see a blank notebook page and it's my life and there is nothing I can think to write. I fear the thought of not sensing a thing. Uh, again, very direct, very sort of uh, emo-esque, but again, it, it treads that thin line between a uh, heavy-handed and just 
leaning into the intensity of the feeling at just the right level and that to me is the thing that gives this ep the extra special source that takes it from a, a flooring musical experience to a thoroughly emotionally shattering one as well not only is this ep sort of foundational to the way that hardcore progressed from this point forward it's and the main reason i picked it really is that it is foundational to me in the way that i think about music particularly guitar based music learning some of these songs in my teenage years was a clinic in learning how to construct a melodic hardcore thing every second of these 15 minutes is etched into the creases of my brain and it's somehow never really gotten old like it it feels like a limb at this point which feels sort of strange to say and i honestly haven't thought about it in a long time until this video and i sort of got back to listening to it again and i honestly think it's better than it was when i found it it's uh, like for instance the the thing that i think we've covered on here on this show that has the most specific influence taken from this uh, is actually counterparts nothing left to love which is like an album that i adore it, most immediately i adored it because it was the only thing i'd heard in ages that came close to this and this specific brand of intensity and uh, aptitude i i say that to illustrate the point that like this EP is so good that like just looking for other things that come close to it is like that gets those things so much credit, I think, because if you can find something that makes you feel similar to how this, how translating the name makes you feel, then it's a fucking winner. One final thing I'll say, um, and this is more a note about uh, how people perceive this kind of music in general is that I think uh, from people who maybe are a little bit more ignorant or not just not into uh, hardcore or emo music, there, there can be a couple of different uh, misconceptions. One is that, and interestingly, like these are kind of opposite misconceptions. One can be that the emotion or the intensity that they try to, con that musicians can try to convey in this style can mean that musicality and musical um identity and even complexity can get lost in the attempt to convey power and the other misconception is that with some emo and, and post-hardcore bands technicality can get in the way of the actual emotional impact and regardless of how you feel about either of those particular genre complaints i know we will we'll probably find them to be disingenuous at the very least regardless of that though Salson's translating the name I think is maybe the definitive text that I would point someone who has either of those complaints towards because maybe more so than anything I can think of it balances the technicality the rawness the intensity the emotionality and the refinement that this genre offers to people who are willing to dig and look for that sort of thing and who have the aesthetical tastes to experience the 
intensity in both those of both of those regards if you're looking to get into this kind of music or if you're looking to have your affection for it reinvigorated Salson's translating the name is maybe the place to go all right let's rate this bad boy uh Jake why don't you go first uh my favorite song on here is Lost Symphonies my least favorite song is There Isn't One this is an 8.5 out of 10 my favorite song on here is seven years least favorite is third movement in c uh and fuck i still like that song a lot nine out of ten it's great hog in the chat permanent permanently soy facing uh uh fucking seven years is probably the best song here but also like i've gorged myself on that track over the years and like the the one that i reach for now uh, most immediately is the title track so i will say translating the name is my favorite and that's the thing as well is that like all five of these songs are pretty much exactly as good as each other tan my yeah favorite track is definitely seven years but special shout to third movement and C. those first three tracks are like are the pinnacle of this record and that's not even because yeah, it falls the, off yeah, it's those, just that those three those, are the those ones. first five tracks man <laughs> um no least favorite and honest to god this is like so close to a 10 i'm going to stick with a 9.5 um but it's you know forget about the numbers just listen to this fucking thing um and that means the that- only the only number that you need is seven years so that means that thousands translating the name has an average rating of 9.3 that's uh, correct which is you know based let us move then into the final ep of today probably the most well-known well-regarded and maybe even one could say the pinnacle of the ep as a form potentially i don't know maybe maybe someone might say that alice in chains jar of flies and one thing i want to lead off with before i hand over to august is i've kind of tried to bring up at certain points the structure of the ep and the idea of an ep and how an ep can be meaningly distinct for an out from an album and have a meaningly distinct purpose the last uh, ep we just discussed translating the name beautiful example of that for reasons that i outlined jar of flies regardless of whether you think it's the greatest ep of all time maybe the most quintessential example of why the EP as a format can be uh, as artistically legitimate as the album. And I think we'll all be able to contribute to why that is. But August, this whole video was your idea. This EP was your pick. Why Jar of Flies? Why is this EP so important to you? Why does it resonate so much with you? And why do you think it's an example of a perfect EP? I think this this works as an EP in particular because it takes the the core sound of the band, Alice in Chains, and then does something outside of it, does something far more stripped back, pared down, that I, I guess maybe they didn't think was sustainable for a full album or I'm not particularly sure of the exact uh, logistical reasons of, of of why this why this ends up being an EP rather than a record for them, but 
what's what's really mastered here in a way that I, I don't think is quite matched on any of the Allison Chains records I've heard, but what's mastered here is just the art of of pacing, sequencing, and construction of a, a musical project, how, how that is delivered. That art is just taken to a, a ridiculous new height. And thus it keeps itself consistently interesting, consistently uh, moving forward, consist it, it keeps itself at, at the zenith of what this EP format can do. Mm. Uh, as, as for why I picked it, A, it's my favorite EP ever. B, it's such a classic release. And I think it's the best way to kind of speak of this band and frontman Lane Staley. And I, I guess as, as for what this does does for me is this was really a also a foundational text for the genre of, of grunge music. It takes the kind of core heaviness, the core uh, abrasiveness of it and, and proves that can still work in a number of wildly different ways. Mm. And also it's just ridiculously emotionally immediate and brutal with regard to the um, background of how this ep came to be i think i can shed a little bit of light here as well uh, for it. this ep was the first uh, release that was recorded with the band's uh new bassist mike inez who is a very important member of the band in terms of uh, the sound of this project and particularly uh the e the the album that would follow so what, how this started out was that um, they wanted to record together to kind of get a sense of how to integrate Mike into the band, to get a sense of the band's sort of chemistry with him. And so they just went into a studio and just sort of laid down these songs or jammed around for a bit. And, and it was very much a laid back experience. It wasn't, let's go into the studio to make this album. Let's go into the studio to make this sort of you know full cohesive project that is going to be a follow-up to our album Dirt, which is a huge album for them. And what happened as a result is that these songs emerged through this process. And uh, in a detail that I love, essentially the way the CB came to be was that the songs they jammed out were so good that they literally said, well, it would be a shame to waste these. And yet the format, the sound of these songs, the stripped back focus on this crisp acoustic tone in conjunction, of course, with Jerry Cantrell's absolutely orgasmic electric playing as well gives it the sense of atmosphere and sonic identity that distinguishes it dramatically from all the Alice in Chains albums. And I think I can understand why the band wouldn't necessarily want to uh, stretch this any longer than it is because it is kind of more of an experiment. It is kind of more of an excuse to explore a more limited palette and see what can be done with the foundational core aspects of Alice in Chains uh, as a band. And as a result of that, you get this project that is so single-minded in its sonic approach, yet so distinct and unique in terms of how it sounds from not only every other Alice in Chains project, but every other grunge project that was emerging in the scene at the time that it immediately captivates and draws attention for that aspect. And also the fact that the process of stripping back how complex and, and intense and heavy and kind of cheesy, I mean that in a good way, some of Alison Chain's music has been up to this point, gives you 
more naked emotional access to Lane Staley as a personality. And I think it would be a misconception to say that a lot of this, the love that this EP gets is due to Lane Staley's unfortunate passing and then how emotional this is as a, as a release and in light of that, because of course, Lane Staley wouldn't pass away for almost a decade after this was released. But so this album, this record was certainly beloved and popular uh, upon its release and has a number of songs on it that still stand and have always been uh, big fan favorites and beloved sort of successful songs for this band. But certainly uh, because of how tinged with tragedy the grunge era was, I mean, this EP came out just four months before Kurt Cobain's death. And because of the tragedy that the grunge era became associated with, the kind of real, the sense with which the uh, reckless abandon of the irreverent grunge staples kind of became tainted with the more dour and um, heartbreaking lens of Kurt Cobain's death meant that releases like this, and I think also some of the success of this could also be uh, potentially attributed to the success of Nirvana's MTV Unplugs recording, which is a similar sort of example of, you know, big, loud, distorted grunge band peering it all back and giving you something more emotionally and musically naked that people responded to in a huge way partially because of contextual elements like Cobain's death but also because it was like startling to hear this band in this format and to really get access to the emotionality behind them with a lot of that irreverence and silliness stripped away and so I think you could draw a lot of comparisons between Nirvana and Alison Chains in that regard. Both, I think, of the big grunge four, the two most irreverent bands in a lot of ways, but also the two bands that are the most, uh, or at least uh, in the grunge prime, were the most tinged by tragedy. And so the most primed for these, this kind of release to have that extra level of impact. And there is a particular pain to Lane and the way that he sings, the way that he writes, uh, I think it becomes even more apparent on the self-titled Alice in Chains record that came out the year after this, which is still my favorite Alice in Chains album. Um, but there's a particular tragedy, even before Lane had died, there's a particular sense of doom and kind of hopelessness and a sense of, you know, Lane not being long for this world that comes through in Alice in Chains music more and more. And Jar of Flies, I think, is the release where that starts to be really apparent as well, because it's not so much in the year of albums like Facelift and Dirt. But once you get here and from here onwards, it becomes kind of overwhelming as an aspect of the musicality. And yeah, again, this came out before Cobain's death, but I think as soon as you put this fucking thing on and you are confronted straight away with Rotten Apple and Nutshell back to back, opening this thing up, two of the most hopeless pieces of music to ever emerge from alternative rock in any form, you can see why this took people aback and why it's resonated. Um, at least that's my perspective anyway. It's worth noting as well, very quickly, that Alice in Chains Unplugged in 1996 was also massively successful for similar reasons that uh, Jar of Flies is such a success. A handful of those songs, uh, particularly the ones that are uh, cuts from the self-titled album, are honestly kind of improved by the Unplugged take 
on them. It, it's funny to me that this band's most popular album proper is called Dirt because the appeal of Alice in Chains at, at, the, at the height of their powers has always been how natural and earthy they sound even behind walls of wailing distorted guitars there's always been a very grounded and texturally uh sometimes grimy but sometimes well earthen quality to it that feels very like channeled from the natural world in sort of roundabout alternative rockified way when we talked about uh temple of the dog in the 1991 retrospective we kind of made a point to talk about how that was sort of ground zero for the grunge sound and how deeply interwoven uh that sort of sound was with blues and i think that this builds off perfectly what morgan's making the point about of the sort of earthy tone of alice in chains music it's because if you take the big grunge bands i think alice in chains is easily the closest to that of blues rock of any of them which is like i mean yeah there's inescapably the sound of grunge is all over their discography all over this ep but i would primarily distinguish this as a blues release a lot of the tonalities of the guitars on here as riley said they're crisp they're warm i mean the quintessential song from this album nutshell has that really like unforgettable you know uh jerry cantrell guitar tone oh. which is just like that's one thing about the like albums from this particular era i think that gets really undersold in my opinion is just how well they're produced the production as we know it is kind of more of a like we think about it more in like a modern context but when you have something like this and especially something that is so at first glance, unassuming, um, it's easy to take for granted just how amazing this thing actually sounds. I mean, Alice in Chains as a band, I would say, are like no strangers to being like maximizing sort of the like really elemental parts of their sounds in the studio, despite the fact that they are so earthy. But here, this does have a kind of intimacy, a kind of warmth that I find grunge as a whole didn't really have um at least not in the same kind of volume and not in the same kind of potency that this does which makes it almost the quintessential release from that era i think the best thing about this um generally speaking is the fact that it is like that's probably why this is so commonly held as like the one of the best EPs of all time, or like even the best EP of all time, is that it feels like it couldn't be anything other than an EP just because of the song choice and the song selections, is that this has the most songs of anything we're talking about. It has seven, but it's also 30 minutes, which puts it smack dab in the middle in terms of length. So distinctly shorter than most albums, but distinctly longer than like brief release which gives it a, a a substance that other things like this might not have morgan once said that like when with eps it's really difficult to like you sort of inherently just kind of like the the dillinger escape plan one with mike Patton. you just sort of inherently you're like oh i just think this would be better if this was an album so you know this is one of the few times where you're listening to something like this 
and you don't immediately go like, oh, I wish this was something else. It, it needs to be packaged in this tight format because it stands in such stark contrast to the 90 CD bloat that was so bad in terms of, like people talk about it in terms of hip hop all the time, but it was bad in rock music too. So something like this. It's something tighter, that Alice in Chains fell victim to on I mean, most yeah. of their releases in the era. Yeah, that's that, true actually. Yeah, that's why this is the most, I think easily, like, even though their most well-regarded album is Dirt, like you said, I still think that like Jar of Flies is the Alice in Chains release that most people go back to mm-hmm. and the highest rated in all of this. Easily the most influential like that this combined with dirt created like every rock band that came after 1995 pretty much yeah a a great example of it is that like there's a lot of like really quintessential songs on here i already pointed out nutshell um and there's rotten apple another track gets a lot of love uh which is fantastic is don't follow and this is also an, uh, a, a release where I feel like you can have slightly more deep cut favorites just because there's a little bit more variety here. My favorite song on here is actually No Excuses, um, mm-hmm. which I Great think text. is just, mm-hmm. which I think is almost as close to like, Nutshell is a little bit like more forward in the track list. And I almost view No Excuses as being like the centerpiece of the album. It feels like the core from which everything else on here is is built in many respects. And it just embodies everything about this sound that's compelling but everything lyrically about it like as riley said this is just one of the most achingly written things i've ever heard Mm -hmm. like this is just again the 30 minute runtime does not diminish the fact that once you're done with this you you fucking want to die you it's just just puts you in a terrible mood worth pointing out on the note of no excuses is that was actually the lead single for the ep as well like that was the way in which the ep was um was previewed uh in fact i think there were three singles from this ep uh Uh, i stay away which famously got nominated for uh a grammy that song best hard rock performance can we just talk about the fucking vocal harmonies on that song for a second yeah like never want to hear a bad word about lane staley as a vocalist I get well, it. He sounds a little eh sometimes. No, let, no, like, I'm not even humoring that. Let's again, <laughs> let's steer clear of making up a guy here. It's um, it's everyone loves. Oh, I am we're not doing... making up a guy. Have you ever ever heard anyone talk about this band in comparison to the other grunge classics? Like, come on, they people bitch about Lane Staley all the fucking time. I choose not to acknowledge their existence. One thing that you've kind of brought up that I think, August, I'd like to hear you speak on, because you kind of alluded to it when you started as well, is the emotionality of this uh, record. The, the, extent, the extent to which the emotional experience of it is such a quintessential part of why it's great and influential and successful in all of these ways. Um, I'm curious how you, what you feel about that and, and how you would describe the emotional experience of this record for you. Firstly, to me, if I had to summarize the emotionality, the emotional texture of this record in a single word, that word would be empty. It feels like everything in you is just stripped away after you've completely broken down from uh, substance abuse and mental problems, and you're just left here completely like for the most part empty with a few tiny parts of you still intact buzzing around internally it feels like an album that 
when I think of it, it reminds me of just doing what you need to do to get through the day. Like it feels physically drained as a musical experience and watch it like watching a, I mean, quite literally watching a, an addict just thrash for what little control they have left in the world. And it's a record that I, I find almost existentially horrifying watching someone lose all will they have in the world, all um, everything that's going right mm. goes horribly, horribly wrong. It, it, it's a horrific, sobering listen. I would uh, argue um, Nutshell is kind of the musical distillation of despondence and, and definitely yeah. the bi- biggest example of what you're talking about as well. I mean, for fuck's sake, it has a lyric in it, my gift of self is raped. Like, like what a fucking way of expressing the kind of dissociation that comes with being addicted, with being kind of in a, in a spiraling downward hole. The vocal performance, again, the the and Cantrell compliments it beautifully with uh, just some of the most mournful playing um, of this entire era of alternative rock. It is just a song that makes you feel crushed. It's it's the weight of the world fucking weighing down on you. It's amazing. And, and then there's just the way it's it's all sequenced with the that first like basically fourfold punch of tracks rotten apple nutshell i stay away and no excuses all of which having their own flavor to them to then go into whale and wasp which is a really fantastic instrumental that kind of serves as like a break in the the tension that lets you ease into the next part with uh don't follow and swing on this uh don't follow being a really interesting point where we actually get jerry cantrell on vocals which mm. he really sounds helps. fantastic and he also sings lead amazing. on no excuses as well i think but don't follow is as that that's my favorite song, song on the on the ep i'm just gonna say don't follow is my favorite song on the ep one of the things that's underrated about the CP is that for how minimal it is, it has all of these like musical flourishes throughout the EP that you just wouldn't expect. Like the strings on Stay Away are like are fucking amazing. And then like, like uh, well, <laughs> there's like, what if we just went God mode? And, and yes, and then they and, did. Gosh, and then Don't and, Follow has the fucking harmonica yeah. as well. Like that is just mm. such a like. I, first, I remember listening to this EP for the first time. I fucking vividly remember it. And there were so many moments where I, my, my, I, my jaw unhinged from my body. And one of them was when that harmonica comes in, uh, courtesy oh, of David Atkinson, who she is my surname. Uh, and, legendary, oh, gosh. legendary I, contribution to I also song. love, love, love how when pedals are used on here, they're used in such a, like in, in the opening of... Uh, rotten apple they're used in such a gentle subtle way that the talk box effect on the guitar in that track is like it tugs at your fucking heartstrings it's so brilliant and then the modulations on lane staley's vocals backing that up it's just god tier stuff i mean it's 
can they do this? <laughs> they did can it. Can he say this? And then they decided. Then, then they, think, then they said it. They said the N word. Uh, I no, think the please. moment, the the first time I listened to this, like, and I think a lot of people probably have this experience. You, it doesn't take no. you very long to get into this, and you're like, "Fuck me, this is a perfect project, isn't it?" But I think the moment where I stopped doubting that was, um, like, or where I stopped like thinking, "Oh, I don't know, I don't know if I should say that too soon," is in "Don't Follow." And the end of that song where you have like a fake out ending and then it comes in mm. and the tempo is like twice as fast and it's got this real bluesy feel to it. And um, Jerry is just fucking like, he's just going crazy. And it's just the best fucking shit ever. And I want to say swing on this gets a lot of hate. It is probably the, the, the lowest ranked thing on this record for sure but, but, but yeah i mean let's is, not say probably that this thing is still like i would say way overhated it is like the least you know like dour thing here but it's like a fucking shot in the arm and it leaves you in this place of this remembering how dynamic and exciting uh, mm. alice and chains are without killing the mood completely it is like admittedly the most sort of irreverent thing here but it finds a way to work and it finds a way to exist and it finds I mean, a way to feel justified i think i i think it's all it's a totally totally justifiable thing if you think it's not that great of a song sure but also you're wrong uh good day sir to me it's like an yeah. 8 out of 10 track on an ep that's like populated with mostly tens and some nines like yeah it's I mean, just i can't yeah for me it's like uh i don't dislike the song at all i just don't think it really belongs here uh it almost feels like a bonus track that they just didn't label bonus track and I don't even mean that as like a negative. It just almost feels like an afterthought within the construction of it to me. Really, the, the only thing I really hold against it is the fact that it, it this EP is, let's, uh, yeah, four of the greatest songs I've ever heard in my life. Uh, one of the best instrumental interludes for anything another one of the greatest songs i've ever heard in my life and then the seven out of ten and like i, I yeah. th for the record this is a 10 so don't come at me i i share your very mild complaint um though i will say i think it's a testament to the album that like ever since i heard this i think i listened to a song from this every day at some point, like it's it's it. I mean, I'm I'll, I'll admit it's it's usually nutshell, like just because <laughs> that's the song from here. But like, I I can't remember the last time I didn't like throw this on like in the morning, like when I'm getting ready and just like doing shit. Like th this is just one of my go-to things. Yeah, like I it's it's hard for me to relate to the idea that this is like a super hard thing to listen to anymore i definitely felt that way yeah. in like the first year that i was familiar with it but now i'm just like oh shit just no excuses man that's fucking yeah it's all right there comes a time one thing i want to finish up on um and a good way i think to finish the video before we do rate the cp is um a kind of like minor thing but uh there is, I think, some dispute, like this is an EP unquestionably, but I think there's been some like dispute as to 
its legitimacy as an EP versus just being like an album. And it's not like a sense that people are trying to diminish this, but it's a weird instance where, and I think you see you see this in some forms of art as well, where something is like so lauded that it's kind of lifted up out of its sort of uh, contextual status, like the Twin whole Peaks to return. When I was <laughs> yeah, I, I mean that's what I was alluding to. But the other thing that's worth noting is like this received a Grammy nomination for best recording package, which is typically a Grammy that is like by definition for the visual look of an album. And it also it's the first EP in music history to ever premiere at number one on the Billboard 200. Uh, in a lot of ways. It, with regard to length and track number as well. Some people make the argument that it can be considered a record. And I'm just wondering, and maybe this is just a facile topic, but I'm wondering whether you think that it's legitimate to call this a, an album or whether doing so detracts from the point of it as an EP. Uh, I, I don't know if anyone else even cares about this particular uh, weird uh, semantic debate, but I feel like to a certain extent, uh, there's a legitimacy to both sides of this coin where you can see this as a sort of fully fledged project with its own identity and enough sort of substance to consider to be considered an LP, if not in the really traditional sense of length and, and structure, but also that as we kind of lead off with, it represents the refinement and the nature of the EP so beautifully that to say it, 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 to elevate it from EP status to album status kind of misses its identity in some ways. I say, uh, I say don't get your panties in a twist about the matter it is yeah. really my take on it. Cause like, if you want to call it an album, fine, but as you make the point of, there is a certain degree of perfection to the EP status of it. Mm. But at the same time, like, you know, it fucking enjoy the music. That's no, what I say at the end. Of the day. If you want to call it an album, yeah. call it an album. But if you tell me I'm wrong for calling it an EP, shut the fuck up and never talk to me again. <laughs> Or, yeah, my you're, you're right the music is all that matters but i just i bring it up only because we're doing the celebration of eps so i thought it an interesting note mm. to conclude on in terms of you know why this is a great ep More like a celebration no i EP. mean i think it's i think it's fair yeah. it's just that, that's just the perspective we <laughs> offer back absolutely yeah. um so yeah uh, let's rate this bad boy. We'll go uh, in reverse order this time i'll kick it off my favorite song is don't follow yes everything else is equally up there uh least favorite swing on this if i had to pick one but i will continue to fly the flag for that song because i don't know i listened to this ep a couple of times this morning and i really enjoyed that song yeah great ep perfect ep i'll concur with august on that and it gets a 10 from me nutshell has been in my top 20 songs of all time roughly since i heard it so I don't want to pick one, so I'm not gonna. Um, ten. Oh, shit. I mean, I'm in a similar position. It's all like, oh, it's it's really fucking difficult because I love love everything on here. A, at least a good deal. I will go with uh, Rotten Apple just uh, to be original. Least favorite song. I don't care. Ten. 
Oh, it's so it's such a beautiful like shot to hear ten. to hear August say ten like that. It's nice. My favorite song on here is the aforementioned No Excuses. Um, but like they're all good, so like whatever, man. Uh least favorite. Yeah, I mean it's swing on this, but like I don't care. It's like a nine out of ten. Fuck you. So that means that. Alice in Chains' Jar of Flies gets an average rating of 9.7 from the Jams and mm-hmm. Tea podcast. Let us know at home what your favorite EPs are. What are some of the EPs that you feel best display? What makes the format great? What do you think meaningfully distinguishes an EP from an album? If anyone besides me cares to dwell on that question, let me know in the comments below. Uh, We want to hear from you. We want to hear your takes on these EPs as well. If you've heard any of them, what you think about our takes, what you think about our opinions, let us know in the comments below. If you are listening on Spotify or Apple, make sure you jump on over to the YouTube channel and give the video a like. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't already as well. If you enjoy what we do and you want to support us even further, you can hit the join button on our YouTube page. And for just $1 a month, you can support the channel, have your name featured in the title call of every video on this channel get to have priority comment response. And if you want to give us a recommendation, your recommendation will go to the top of the pile. But yeah, August, I believe there is nothing left to do, but let you sing us home. Alrighty. Uh, So as always, folks, rock over London, rock on Chicago, Uh, Samsung, do what you can't.